Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you missed any of my talk radio breakfast show, don't worry. We've put some of the punchiest bits of this morning's show into a bite-sized podcast. The Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. Enjoy. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. In a moment, we're going to talk to the Health Secretary, Matt Hancock. Today, he's going to formally announce his new NHS People Plan. He wants to address not just the new pandemic challenges, but also improve not just the support for staff physically, but mentally as well. Uh, he's going to be uh, calling on health and social care staff to share where rules and regulations could be changed uh, to cut bureaucracy. How many times have we heard that? And a recruitment driver is going to capitalise on the huge surge of interest in jobs in the health arena as NHS Careers, uh, the website has seen a 138% increase in interest uh, in nursing in particular uh, in the last few months. Well, I'm delighted to welcome the Health Secretary right now. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Very well indeed. Lovely to speak to you. Let's let's talk uh, uh, in a few moments about your NHS People Plan. First of all, uh, I must talk about this uh, announcement we're expecting to hear from the Deputy uh, Chief Medical Officer, uh, Jonathan Van Tam, uh, that we are going to see the extension of that uh, coronavirus isolation rule from seven days to ten days. First of all, why is that being extended? And, And does that mean that you've got it wrong up to now? Well, we're going to be guided by the clinical science on this, as we have been by so, on, on, on so much else during this uh, crisis. And as the science improves and the scientists uh, change their judgment because they uh, learn more about the disease, uh, so we'll, we'll change the rules. I mean, that's one of, the, one of the defining features of this epidemic is that when the facts change, we have to update what the rules are, what the guidance is to the public, because we're all trying to fight this crisis and, and, and nobody knew about this virus just six months ago, uh, and we're constantly learning about it. Well, the Chinese knew about it six months ago. They just didn't tell the rest of us about it. That's the well, problem. Well, you know, I found out about it at the turn of the year, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and, 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 but the broader, you know, the point is that it's a new virus. Nobody's ever been in this situation before. And so we're constantly learning. And actually, you know, I, I will protect the scientists from these, this sort of, you know, the, the, un, the accusation, the sort of gotcha accusation of, oh, you know, you must have got it right. You know, we're constantly learning and we'll change 
the policies if we need to based on what we learn are the scientists and the medics are they are they uh, you know defending you as politicians though because we have seen in recent weeks uh, many of the senior scientists including like the likes of sir patrick valance uh, the chief scientific advisor sort of rolling back and we, we all the time we were told you know, it was a decision of sage it was their advice that the, the yeah. government was listening to when to go into lockdown what measures to have in lockdown and the rest yeah um and yet now they're saying oh government we told you a week earlier you should have gone into lockdown earlier in retrospect, no, was it the wrong decision? But that, that, that was what he told a committee. No. We should have gone uh, into lockdown a week earlier. No, that's not, that's not right. Uh, it's worth going and reading the transcript. The, the point he made is that, uh, at that, at that on this particular point of detail in the history, he was saying that they made recommendations then in the middle of March. And we followed those recommendations mm. actually on that day. Uh, and then they came forward with further recommendations later. Uh, which we put immediately into practice, and and uh, they've they've cleared that up. Okay, well, we had to clear it up but because that's is, what, not yeah, what was said broader, in the committee. No, it, it is what was said. It was just not what was reported, and sometimes there's a distinction. I was, sadly, I was the, watching um, the, the committee. The, there we are. Well, okay, we'll leave good. that. Yeah. The, um, the look, there's a broader point though, Julia, which is that uh, we've constantly learning about this virus. Yeah. We've been learning about it all the way through. The scientists, therefore change their scientific judgment when the facts change, which is the right thing to do, and then we will change policy okay. and explain it as best we can. Yeah, and, and I think I think most people listening to that right now will completely understand. In terms you. of the lessons being learned from what we've yeah. done here in the UK and the lessons being learned from uh, the coming out of the lockdown in the rest of mainland Europe, though, yeah. um, this fear we're told that we could be seeing a second wave. Now, only a few weeks ago, they, they, they were, I was being told by uh, senior figures in government that they weren't expecting a second wave. Uh, we've seen all these countries come out of lockdown in France, Germany. They were doing absolutely fine. What has happened in the last few weeks that has caused that concern? Well, the number of cases have gone up sharply in, in some countries in Europe. Uh, we, I mean, sadly, around the rest of the world, we're seeing some very, very high numbers of cases. Uh, but in Europe, they've started to go up. Uh, in Fr France now has more cases than we do uh, per day. And in Spain, we saw the numbers shoot up, which is why we had to take the very rapid action that we did at the weekend. But we're seeing the R rate increase in the UK as well. In four out of seven English regions now, uh, we've seen a rise in the R rate. We're no longer sort of just gradually going down. Uh, we're told it may well be above one in the southeast of England and in the southwest. Southwest previously pretty much uh, escaped the virus altogether. Um, why is it rising now? Is it just that this is something that we should expect to happen? We spoke to Professor Hugh Pennington a little bit earlier from the University of Aberdeen. He said, look, this isn't a second wave. This is just the spike that you would expect to happen as you come out of lockdown. In which case, is it just something we need to just calmly try and just keep an eye on? Or is it something that needs to lead to a second lockdown? Well, what we want to ensure doesn't happen is a second spike with it going up uh, rapidly and, uh, and, uh, and consistently. And the, um, the challenge is how to do that in a best in a way that best protects the freedoms that we all enjoy that many of which we've been able to restore and that means following the social distancing rules for instance um and um and everybody has got a part to play in in keeping it under control but it's true that it is you know the number of cases is at best flat um and um you know whereas before it was falling and that's because there's been more social contact uh, and we can also absolutely see from the rest of europe that it is it is rising 
in many countries, in some cases quite sharply. Um, and in terms of where those countries are, we were most worried. Obviously, Spain got on the list. Uh, Transport yeah. Secretary Grant Shapps uh, arrived home yesterday, early from yeah. his holiday. Um, where where should he now book a holiday that would be safe and wouldn't be facing uh, uh, possible quarantine measures in the next few days? Well, we keep all of these places under review. And I know that that creates uncertainty, but it, it, it is, you know, the truth is there's a global pandemic on. And, 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 and you know, when we brought in the exemption for Spain, the number of cases was really low and lower than here in the UK. And it's since shot up. So that's why we've had to take the action we did. In fact, a week earlier, we also took action in Serbia, for instance, uh, although it was much less noticed because it's a less of a uh, holiday destination. Um, so, you know, the, I, I'm going on holiday in uh, in the UK. I think, you know, um, there is a um, the, there is a there is a big challenge. To, the whole of humanity faces a big challenge, uh, and uh, we do have to make decisions and take action quickly in the face of the spread of the virus. Okay. It's just the nature of the virus. Well, part of the action being taken, of course, is keeping the NHS up to speed uh, dealing yes. with the pandemic, but also dealing with the massive backlog of ordinary uh, the illnesses and ailments that normally uh, uh, hit afflict us uh, during the year. Uh, you've got your NHS people plan being announced today. I went through some of the measures before we were waiting to speak to you uh, about, you know, trying to cut bureaucracy uh, and yeah. capitalise on uh, on sort of us, you know, doing online uh, and telephone uh, GP consultations as well. How much do you think the NHS is going to change as a result? of all this well it's definitely already changed and what we want to do is bottle the good bits you know we know in many ways in many areas the nhs performed uh, you know the best it ever has uh, it normally takes the, <laughs> the nhs nine years to build a hospital it did it did the nightingales in nine days uh, and and uh, in terms of the flexibility that people felt on the front line, the ability to do what was needed according to their professional judgment, some of the bureaucracy that we managed to sweep away that won't be coming back. We want to bottle the best bits of the response. And that's what this speech I've got later is all about. And the uh, and the NHS people plan, which is all about empowering the, those working on the front line. And what about uh, not bottling the worst bits of it, which has meant that we've now going to face something like 10 million people, we're told, on the NHS waiting list, people who are going to die as a result of not getting cancer referrals, all the people who've not faced basic treatments as a result of some of the, I mean, sorry, let's be honest, with all the best will in the world, uh, some of the failures of the NHS during this pandemic. Well, I, I'm I'm going to defend them against that, because the the challenge with cancer treatment is that a lot of cancer treatment involves essentially reducing your immune system, which is a very dangerous thing to do when there's a deadly virus about. So It's pretty dangerous uh, not to have chemotherapy. Yes, and, uh, and clinicians, um, absolutely. And clinicians have to make these very, very difficult judgments about what is the, okay. what is the best thing for each individual patient. So, of course, but the broader point, is is important which is absolutely restoring the non-covid uh, nhs is, has been a very important project over the last few months okay just finally you were former culture secretary and uh, i'm wondering what you and very much into the digital media what do you make yeah. of the decision of twitter to uh, ban uh, the grime artist wiley after an anti-semitic rant is it the job of social media companies to uh, police what we say on the internet well, they they undoubtedly have a responsibility. I, I'm not going to get into this individual case because, as you can imagine, I haven't been following it closely because I'm busy with other with things. Pandemic, yes. Uh, and I hope you'll excuse me that. But they, but we do know that 
uh, social media companies have a responsibility uh, for what is on their sites. But I'm absolutely not going to get uh, it, it into the individual case. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Online, on DAB, and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. So let's talk to Dr. Layla McKay. She's director at the NHS Confederation. Good morning to you, Layla. Good morning. Good morning. Um, really big concerns here. And this after, of course, we, we, we released our, our lockdown rules for mo- well, pretty much most of the country, odd, other than odd spikes in Leicester and, uh, and Oldham now we're seeing overtaking Leicester. Um, but we've basically been following what the Europeans have doing, going into uh, the, the lockdown after them and coming out of the lockdown after them. Learning the lessons is, is the idea. But it does seem that the lesson to be learned from uh, large parts of mainland Europe is that there there may well be uh, an increase in cases to come. How concerned are you at the NHS Confederation that we could be heading into a second wave? I think that we're all very concerned. Uh, obviously, this is a new virus. We don't know how it's going to behave. We don't know what's going to happen coming into winter. But we can uh, assume from looking at other countries around the world that a second spike is absolutely uh, a risk and as we come into winter, which uh, in some ways is, is a more challenging time, and we're coming in having reduced all these various precautions we may have previously been taking, um, 
it certainly looks like a risk. And we can't forget that just a couple of weeks ago, we heard from the Academy of Medical Sciences that there could be 120,000 deaths from coronavirus this winter. I mean, that's not the likely scenario, but no. it's still a very worrying one. No, but again, that was a scenario if we took no mitigating measures whatsoever. And again, that's the thing when we, we were talking about the Imperial College uh, very early on in February and March, about 250,000 deaths from coronavirus. Again, that was if we didn't even forget lockdown. We didn't even do any social distancing and wash our hands. So we have to, yeah, we have to look at what people reasonably do. But it seems to me when I, I move around, I mean, certainly I've just you know, flown back from France and people in the airport, people in the, in the plane, um, people when I go out and about and I'm on public transport, um, I was in, a, I was in a, a hotel bar yesterday, people are exercising social distance. You know, no one's shaking hands. People are, are, are staying apart. People are washing their hands from, you know, as often as possible. It seems to me that people are largely obeying uh, the, uh, the, the the social distancing and the, and the pandemic rules, um, but clearly not everywhere because we are seeing uh, this. This wave, there does seem to be some concern. World Health Organization, I mentioned earlier, that it's it's young people driving the spike. They, you know, they don't feel they're at risk because basically they're not, and they're going out partying. We see all these footage from America where people is just being widely ignored by young people. Um, but of course, they do pose a risk in spreading the virus to other people who are uh, at greater risk. That's right. I mean, first of all, some young people may feel they're not at risk, but of course, we know some young people do become quite severely ill and have died from this virus. Yeah, but okay. <laughs> but I mean, I think in the last couple of months, I don't think anyone under age at thirty has died. I mean, we have to be realistic. I mean, it really is a yes. very low risk to young people. I think that's. I think that really what we're thinking about when we look at young people is the risk that they pose to their loved ones and to their communities if they're out. They happen to catch the virus and then they're home and they're hanging around with their friends, their family, their older relatives. There is this risk of putting other people um, at increased risk of developing coronavirus. And that is what the World Health Organization is so worried about at the moment as we're seeing young people out and about. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it, we, we are seeing people more out and about. I mean, that said, not not out and about enough to boost the economy. Lots of people still working from home and yet uh, out and about uh, uh, socialising. It does seem to me, could we stop the socialising and all just get back to work? Uh, that would be a better, uh, perhaps a, a better route for our economy. Um, the report's though, uh, suggesting that um, the R rate is increasing. Uh, in four out of seven English regions, we've seen it rising here in the UK. Um, whereas for months, we've seen it just slow again slowly but that's been the case in virtually every other country where we've seen the pandemic is that you know you get a very high sharp uh, uptick and then you see this very long slow uh, route down but it's believed now to be above one in both the southeast and the southwest of the country bearing around the southeast was the first uh, to get the uh, the coronavirus and, and you know long since been uh, you know pretty safe southwest barely been hit by coronavirus at all um, this is a concern because this is what we're seeing even in countries like Germany that have been very successful dealing with the pandemic is that they're uh, seeing a a really quite a statistically significant rise in the number of cases. That's right. I mean, it can't be surprising that as we've all been obeying all sorts of lockdown restrictions, those have been eased. People are socialising. It's not surprising that people are getting closer to each other mm. and there's more transmission. But while it's not surprising, I think it's extremely worrying. And we can look to our neighbouring countries to see what sort of trends we might expect. Yeah. And when yeah. we look at that, I think that the NHS and our members start to feel anxious because, you know, this is a time when the NHS is working so hard to bring back 
all the services, but it paused when it's yeah. preparing for winter. And if suddenly there is this increase, it's going to be very challenging. Well, indeed, although we understand that Australia has had a very mild flu season, their winter, of course, is now. And we often we base our, our flu vaccines uh, and we're told it's going to be eligible. To, everyone over 50 is going to be eligible for it this year. Um, but but actually, you know, we've seen a couple, last couple of years some really virulent strains of flu, but they think it's quite a mild strain this year. Um, and that's what we'll, we, we, we will usually end up getting in the northern hemisphere come winter. That That is at least one encouraging sign. What do you make of the decision to extend the isolation rule from seven days to 10 days? I mean, it's quite confusing because we've been talking about the, you know, the quarantine rule and that's 14 days. Because currently, you know, if you get you come down with symptoms of the virus, we've been told you, know, you're, you must isolate for seven days. Anyone in your home with you, anyone you've been in contact with should be should extend, uh, quarantine for 14 days, mainly because you, you could still, you know, you could actually catch the virus, you know, on the seventh day of the other person in your home catching it. And, uh, and there you have to allow for that incubation period. But why now, so many months in, has it been extended from seven to 10? Does that mean that we were wrong all along and it should have been 10 or is there new information? I think that that's information that has not necessarily been made available and it would be helpful to see. But if I was going to make a guess of one reason, it might be the case that we now have more testing that's happening at an earlier stage. So it might be the case that people are being diagnosed earlier, which means that uh, that seven days in from an earlier diagnosis is not quite so far along. So uh, it might be. Oh, I think we are. We- I think we may have just lost sound for you. Dr. Leila McKay, hold on. I hope we can get you back. I'm not quite sure whether you might have pressed your moot button or or what what's going on there. But uh, I th- oh, we have still got you there. Lovely. Um, um, just one, one particular specific uh, issue. Um, travel quarantine, um, a big row over this. And um, Heathrow, we spoke to their boss yesterday, uh, John Holland Kay, talking about actually we need testing and then we could perhaps cut uh, the quarantine time down to effectively a working week rather than two weeks, which could be the, a big difference for people. Um, but we, we, are, we are seeing the prospect tomorrow of more countries being added uh, to the travel quarantine list. Um, do do you do you agree that the, the, we need to have these quarantine lists and that, and that actually you know we 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 this is the way to stop the spread of the virus? Well, I mean, I think there's lots of different ways to stop the spread of the virus, and if if the scientists are seeing the evidence that this is this is a real risk, then certainly it is one way of dealing with that. At the end of the day, we need to find different ways to reduce the risk of a deluge of infections and. Um, if testing, if quarantining is able to help with that, then it's something that, of course, needs to be um, a tool in our toolbox. Online, on DAB and on the Talk Radio app. Talk Radio. Let's uh, talk about free school meals. Well, of course, there's free school meal vouchers available over the summer holidays as a result of the uh, pressure, actually, uh, from uh, Marcus Rashford, the footballer, rather than what the government wanted to do. But uh, now there are calls for free school meals to be extended to another one and a half million children in England. Let's talk to Andrew Forsey. He's the National Director of Feeding Britain, the charity uh, to uh, deviate at food poverty. Good morning to you, Andrew. Morning, Julia. Um, let's talk about this. It's the National Food Strategy. Uh, it's a, uh, a report that's been authored by Henry Dimbleby. He's the head of a Leon uh, restaurant chain. Uh, and uh, they're looking at the sort of the, what they call the toxic connection between child poverty, poor diet and hunger. And, of course, the long-lasting effects of this. It's been a government-commissioned review. Uh, and basically, it, there's been some attacks on, on, say, false packaging, like the Percy Pig sweets sold in Marks & Spencer, pretending they're healthy when, of course, they're, they are, they're, they're really not. They're rather 
rather rather unhealthy. It's all glucose spirit, uh, syrup and the like. Um, but this focuses on you know, the poorest kids, making sure they get a healthy meal every single day. Um, how many kids right now are eligible for free school meals? And, and, and why do we think that there are one and a half million who who who, uh, who aren't getting them who should? Roughly one and a half million kids currently qualify, Julia, and the estimates suggest at least another million kids are growing up in poverty, their families are struggling to make ends meet, but under the current rules they don't qualify for free school dinners. Right, and so their their income isn't quite low enough? Or that their parents are on a low income, but because they're in work, therefore they earn their poverty again, the rules disqualify them from free school dinner receipt. Right. And you say in work, and again, we often, this phrase often used where people say people in work, but they're, you know, working two days a week, you're probably not going to be able to afford to feed your family. Absolutely, Julia. Oh, that's, and, why should, that's why you should work five days a week like everyone else. That's, that's my answer to that solution, that problem. Well, I mean, we always come back to the argument that if we really were serious about solving hunger and poverty in our country, you'd have a large enough number of jobs, paying high enough wages and offering a high enough number of hours from week to week. Well, so I mean, we I well until the pandemic, we did. I mean, realistically, even if you're on minimum wage, two people or one person with extra benefits, like you, you I've, I've spoken to dozens and dozens and dozens of people who are on benefits or on minimum wage, single mums and like, who, who are not struggling to feed their kids a healthy meal every day and can afford uh, these school meals, which are you know highly subsidised anyway. Um, and they say, well, if I can do it, why can't these other families do it? There are certainly legions of parents, Julia, I agree, who on a daily and weekly basis perform minor miracles to keep a roof over their family's head, keep the bills paid and keep food on the table. But we know across large sections of our society the the easiest option, the convenient option, the default option really, is to go for the takeaway or the frozen meal or the microwave meal. And what that report yesterday actually gives us is three, I think, recommendations which hitch the bullseye and could begin to reverse that situation. Firstly, they talk about this brilliant scheme the government has called Healthy Start Vouchers, which are a good way of getting fresh fruit and veg onto children's plates in poorer households. Take-ups only about 50% at the moment. So if we could drive that up to 100%, you'd begin to reverse that situation. So they're available, but we've got all these terribly, terribly poor parents with starving, hungry, uh, malnutrition children, but they're not taking advantage of free fruit and veg for them. Doesn't that suggest this is a parenting issue rather than uh, a poverty issue? I think the truth is hardly anybody's aware of the scheme. And even if you are, it's bloody difficult to apply for it at the moment. Right, So there's a couple of things the government could do just to make it... Apologies for that fruity language, everyone, by the way. But I understand understand the sentiment, Andrew. Okay, so so you think these these Healthy Start vouchers, that would be crucial, expanding that and making sure people are aware of them. What else did you like in the report then? Secondly, I think it's the bullseye when looking at school holidays. I mean, we across the Feeding Britain network have always tried to combine nutritious food with the cooking classes and demonstrations to make family cooking fun and affordable. And throughout this summer holiday, we've got lots of ingredient packs going out. We've got chef tutorials on how to make decent meals out of them. And that doesn't cost any more than what the free school meal voucher can get you. So it's directly getting food to people, but also planting the seeds of how you can carry on doing this during normal times as well. Yeah, and we're not talking about, you know, spending two hours preparing a meal. We're just doing some really simple, basic stuff with some very, very simple, healthy, very cheap ingredients. Um, I made spaghetti bolognese for five last night and um, I've got enough, frankly. I've been able to freeze enough for, um, for you know, probably about another ten. Um, and and I, I really don't think it costs more than a couple of quid per person. I mean, if, if that uh, at all, I mean, 
mean, and, and you know, carrots, tins of tomato, beef, and the and the, you know the the onions and that it, it barely costs anything. There's really no excuse for people to say they can't afford to eat healthily. A lot of it's about going to the bother, isn't it? I think it's a two-pronged thing, Julie. Yes, there's a, this element of skills and training and having the know-how to knock up those meals from scratch for your family. But it's also a matter of income as well. We had a mum come to one of our projects last week. She says, you know what, I've always loved to cook from scratch. I want to cook from scratch. But over the past few weeks and months, because of our income, I've not been able to do so. And now that Feeding Britain's opened this project... What does that, no, no, that, what does that mean? Because of their income, she's not been able to do so. So what are they doing instead? They're buying takeaways? They're having to go for the cheapest option, which to them has often been the frozen option. But thanks to our There's project... nothing wrong with frozen food. Why is everyone so snotty about frozen food? Well, just around the corner now, we've got a, an outlet that offers uh, lamb chops and fresh fruit and veg at a very, very low price. So she's able to access now that now and cook from scratch for her kids and for herself. But, you know, tinned food and frozen food, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm sorry, I don't know why. And even microwave meals, there are plenty of very healthy microwave meals as well. Certainly better than nothing. Um, but if we're looking at giving ki- all kids the best possible diet and nutrition and health outcomes... And as you've said, ideally, you'd be able to knock up something from scratch. And that's what we're trying to help parents do. Um, And realistically, um, do you think we are going to see a big change? We've got these vouchers for the summer uh, for school kids this year. But again, the big concern is it's not that parents can afford it. It's parents don't don't have the know-how. They can't cook. Uh, Frankly, I'm sorry, there's a lot of parents who are just too lazy to do it. I'm sorry, let's let's have the reality check on this. But also, uh, a lot of parents, and I'm far too many, frankly, a bit negligent, and they don't really care care about making sure their kid has a healthy meal i think if we accept as a society we've got a shared duty to make sure that all kids have access to decent food and that regardless of their circumstances at home they shouldn't be allowed to suffer the government has said that within 18 months or so they're going to publish a formal policy paper on all of this Mm. the truth is as yesterday's review finds there are certain things they can do quickly they can do now to alleviate that suffering amongst kids Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, Talk Radio. Thanks for listening to the Julia Hartley Brewer Daily. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and give me a good review. And don't forget to catch me on the Talk Radio Breakfast Show every weekday from 6.30 until 10. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade.